listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? In each short conversation, I ask a writer a non-writing related question that lets you and me get to know them just a little bit better as a person. I'm an author myself, so I'm always looking for an excuse to ask the odd questions. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome my friend, Susan Kaplan Carlton. Susan's most recent novel, In the Neighborhood of True, has been named a Best Book of the Year by Amazon, and it's received a starred review in Publishers Weekly. Susan is not only an acclaimed author, but has enjoyed a career that includes working as a White House intern, writing for National Women's Magazines, and currently she teaches writing at Boston University. Hey there, Susan. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Joni. Nice to be with you. Susan, I love how you once encapsulated your fiction. I write young adult novels about complicated girls in complicated times. In the neighborhood of True, for example, your 16-year-old main character, Ruth, moves with her family from New York to Atlanta in the summer of 1958. But to fit in with the popular pastel posse, Ruth decides to hide the fact that she's Jewish until something tragic happens that forces her to rethink that secret. Susan, you have an amazing affinity for your book's young protagonists. So it makes me curious, what were you like as a teenager? I think part of me is stuck somewhere at age 17 because I keep being drawn to write about that time of life. And I think it's because of all the firsts that you have, you know, as a teenager, Um, first finding your voice, first love, first sex, first driving, all that stuff. But what was I like? I was somewhat like my character, Ruth, actually, although I didn't have geography in common with her. I grew up in San Francisco and its suburbs, which was in the 1970s, you know, a super liberal accepting place. And yet I felt like a little uncomfortable being Jewish for no particularly good reason. You know, I had friends who I think were very accepting, but it took me a long time to feel comfortable in my own skin. I was going to ask if you drew on yourself at all in creating Ruth. There is a little bit. And it's funny, I hadn't thought about this for a long, long time, but When the book was finished, I had this flash of memory. I was a little bit older. I was in college and I was dating this lovely guy who I was so in love with, who is waspy as waspy can be. And I was meeting his grandfather for the first time. And he whispered to me, I really want him to like you. Just don't tell him you're Jewish. Wow. Um, And, you know, that that was a repressed memory that bubbled up as I was finishing this novel. It's like sometimes it's just hard to be who you are. Mm. Well, I think any, any teenage girl can relate to that. Central to In the Neighborhood of True is your protagonist's big secret that she decides she's going to keep, at least until certain events make her rethink. Were you a secretive kid? Did you have big secrets? Because I was like a rule follower, I don't think I was also a secret keeper. I think I wanted to be more nefarious than, <laughs> than I was. <laughs> so no, I don't think that I was secretive. Although recently I reread Harriet the Spy, which I recommend we all do on occasion. And it was my favorite book as a kid. And I think there was a part of me that really identified with Harriet 
you know, really looked up to Harriet as someone who could spy on people and take note of everyone and everything. And I just didn't quite have that same gumption. What's one of the most rebellious things you can remember doing in your what seems like or sounds like a non-rebellious teenagehood? I don't know that it was rebellious so much as just ill-advised. I got into a car accident before I knew how to drive or before I had a license. My boyfriend, who was a little older, had taught me to drive like on the sly. See, this is the part where in the dork, it was homecoming. And my parents had a new car that was red and our school colors were red and white. And so my boyfriend had borrowed the car to drive to the parade. And for whatever weird reason, the car needed to be moved and he was not around. And so I decided, well, you know, I've been driving in the parking lot. No problem. I'll move it. Very brave. And I hit a car, not only a car, but the dreaded math teacher's car. (laughs) (laughs) What went through your mind right at that moment? Do you recall? Um, I remember my first thought was, I'm not going to be able to go to the homecoming dance. I'm going to be so grounded. And then the math teacher came out, you know, spewing expletives. And my second thought was, uh oh, (laughs) I might be in bigger trouble than that. I can relate completely because when I was a young adult, I once was driving home and I hit my boss's car, totaled his car. So (laughs) trust me, when I say I can relate, I can relate. Well, was your car okay? No, it was not. I think my father did like a little side deal with the teacher so that he wouldn't report it. And, but of course I had to pay for the damage to his car and to my parents' car. And I was paying it off like well after I graduated college, I was sending like $15 a week to pay it off. God, that is a tough story, man. So I know that you grew up in San Francisco. Yes. And then you went to college in Portland, Oregon. I did. And then later your husband and your two daughters moved to Atlanta. Yes. And now you live in small town, New England, near me. Lucky me. Yes. Just across the river. Exactly. What's something that when you're in the South, the Southerners thought was just bizarre about Northerners or about you specifically? I think for some of my daughter's friends, the idea that our children didn't address us as ma'am and sir was just shocking, that they were so ill-mannered. <laughs> One of the prominent details, almost a character unto itself in your novel, is the Pink Book of Etiquette, which offers young Southern ladies yes. precise rules on basically everything. So can you tell me about how you came to invent this little pink book? Well, here's a little secret. It's not such an invention. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I I did invent it, but it came, you know, as many things do, it has its roots in the truth. So our younger daughter went to an all girls school and at her school, there was a tradition of being invited to formal dances as a way to sort of ease your entry into debutante land later. And she was given a pink book of etiquette. Oh my goodness. That she would later be tested on. And she is not the right child to be tested on a book of etiquette. Who gave it to her and who did the testing? It sounds like it's part of the core curriculum there. No, no, no. It it (laughs) happened outside of school. No, her school was wonderful. It happened outside of school. You know, she elected to do this sort of extracurricular thing that's only girls at certain schools were invited. You had to be at, you know, a fancy enough private school. My older daughter who went to the hippie school, her school was not having any of it. But No pink book for her. 
No pink book for her. But there was a sort of a school mermy woman who ran the etiquette program and she would have a Coca-Cola um, <laughs> social and you would come being ready to sort of show your manners. So, you know, I made up the contents, tried very hard to find the pink book, but, you know, it was like tossed immediately by my daughter. So I made up what happened between the pages of the pink book. And of course, it was a totally different era that I was writing about. But um, well, what are some of the rules that you incorporated into your invention of the pink book? Um, there were rules about um, uh, rules about clothing, about when you could wear velvet and, oh, yes. and there were rules about when you could show your bosom, you know, no oh cleavage in the day. Well, just those two, Susan, I would find them extremely useful, frankly. <laughs> so, you know, I'm teasing you a little bit or laughing a little bit about the pink book of etiquette, but frankly, I think it might come in handy, you know? I will say that daughter writes a very nice thank you yeah. note. <laughs> And I think she was guided by the pink book. Of well, and, and look at the times we live in now. I think we could all use a big dose of civility. And yeah. so the pink book of etiquette might be just the thing to help us get back to a more civilized discourse. You may take it and run with it, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a lovely icon, a Southern icon and a beautiful feature, a detail in the book. You know, Susan, before the pandemic, I used to see you frequently in a bakery near my house. I miss those days. Yeah. And there you were with a small group of fellow writers. And can you talk a little bit about the origin of that group, how it came to be, and also how you think it feeds your work? Yes, I'd love to. It was actually very informal. Two of us, uh, Cindy, who you know, we would meet on a semi-regular basis. And the bakery where we met had these long sort of harvest tables that just invited community, I think. So we called it a parallel play date. You know, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't swapping writing, but we were just writing in community, writing, you know, across from one another, inspired by the clacking keys of the other. And gradually other people would join us. You know, it was just sort of by happenstance. And I do find I've often been part of a writing group. I'm in a writing group also now, but this was different and it fed me in a different way just to have that companionship of sitting next to someone who was industriously working or completely stuck or, you know, whatever the sort of arc of the day would hold. You speak to the value of this. We need some kind of community often so that writing doesn't feel so solitary. And just whether we're hearing each other's clacking keys, that can be enough at times. And Cindy and I have both, you know, in the spirit of full disclosure, we've both taken workshops with you that have been, you know, just if I find that I'm in a lull, which happens quite a lot, frankly, you know, I'm, I just am looking for a way to kind of reignite that spark. And I think taking a workshop or doing a mini retreat or all those things can really nourish you as a writer. Well, Susan, the time has come for the last question I like to ask every guest on the show. So do you have another couple minutes? Yeah, I do. All right. Susan, if you wrote a six word memoir, what would it be? I tried many different combinations of six words, <laughs> and it was really hard to find six that spoke to me. So I turned to Harriet, as I mentioned. Oh, Harriet the Spy. But I just recently reread her, as I have done many times. And so my six words are, as Harriet says, 
sometimes just lie. <laughs> well, yes. And don't you think as a fiction writer, the ability to lie skillfully and, and adroitly is a beautiful, beautiful feature for us to have? Beautiful. And it, it sort of taps back into what we were talking about earlier with secrets. I mean, lies, secrets, potato, potato, really. So Exactly. Well, Susan, I want to thank you for being a guest on my show. Thank you. I also want to thank you specifically for giving your readers, particularly your young female readers, such substantive stories. And I look forward to reading about your next complicated character. Oh, me too. Are you working on a new book? I am. Yes, I am. It's a mess, but I am. Listeners, if you want to find out more about Susan and her work, check out her website, SusanKaplanCarlton.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.